Hey everyone, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on Donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much and enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. All right, everyone, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We are glad you're here with us in our penultimate Ecclesiastes episode. Penultimate Ecclesiasticus. <laughs> Which sounds is, like a spell from Harry Potter. Yes. Is it? It's not. Yeah, it's, it's just not. something I made up. Oh, <laughs> this okay. moment. Penultimate. I mean, I, it sounds nice. Penultimate. It, Ecclesiasticus. It. Anyway. <laughs> uh, well, how are you, Seth? Oh, Two fistfuls of hevel is like all I can say. how you feel today. That's how I feel. Uh, we're selling our house uh, and moving to a house in Oklahoma City. And I have, I, I, I texted you about this, but it was yep. so exhausting. I spent hours finding all these old passwords, calling customer service hotlines, talking to robocalls, like trying to figure out a way to stop a mortgage payment going to a bank account I've closed to no avail. <laughs> and then... To be told, that no, no, it'll be fine. It's not going to go through. To wake up this morning to realize that it went through. Anyway, no matter how much work I did, it never got resolved. And no Hevel. matter how little I did, it also didn't get resolved. And now I'm overdrawn on my account. And I'm like, I, I, I literally live that verse that we talked about last time. <laughs> where it talked about the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. And now, yep. so I did nothing. And my yep. bank account overdrew. And then I had two handfuls of toil. And I went after the robocalls with all my might. And that didn't produce anything. Better would have been a quiet evening at home, knowing I might have to pay an overdraft fee and let it be at that. And I took comfort. That would have been the wisdom. And that would have been the wisdom of Kohelet in my life last <laughs> night. But I did not listen to it. <laughs> oh, I love that. So Start just bringing it into just reality. Just bringing it into full light. Oh, it's so good. In my life. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, so help uh, help, help us um, kind of recap where we were last week um, and get us into where we are today, Seth. Yes. So last week we went through ch- from chapter 3 to chapter 6. Right. And we really talked about what it meant to live in a world of unmet expectations. Mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. is the wisdom of Kohelet, the wisdom of God, in a world that never lives up to what we hope it can could be for us. Right, right. And that's kind of like, it's a pretty prominent theme throughout the entire book of Cle- yeah. Ecclesiastes, but there's actually a pretty hard break between that theme, like the unmet expectations of the world, like the autobiography, like the living, I tried pleasure and wine and morality and it all just fell apart under me. 
that kind of takes place in the first half of the book. And in the second half of the book, we kind of shift fo- focus, foci mm-hmm. a little bit to not so much about like the unmet expectations of life, but asking these op- open-ended questions about mm. what is good and what comes next. That's helpful, and, yes. And like you could probably expect, he kind of set, sets out like it's hard to know what's good and what comes next is unknowable. Yeah. <laughs> like he does like he does the, the Kohelet turn where it's like, well, what is good? Well, what is good is constantly frustrated. Well, what comes mm. next? Nobody can know because we all die. Like, um, <laughs> like he does that thing, but through that, asking the questions, inviting us into the hevel of what is good and what comes next. I think he's also pointing us forward to the way um, we live wisely in this life and can hope in the Messiah, hope in Jesus. As okay, well. so that's a helpful synopsis. Thank you. There you go. You're, you're very um, welcome. So, I mean, at the top of chapter seven, which is where we are, mm-hmm. we get more of these proverbs, right? Which we talked a lot about last week. Um, yes, like it's little, a whole section of them, like a, almost a half chapter. Yeah, and and they're they're proverbs in style, right? They mm-hmm. are they are contrasting um, what seems to be a way of wisdom and a way of folly, mm-hmm. and um, providing kind of um, uh, antithetical parallel advice, which is a fancy way of saying like uh, there's two options before you: one's good and one's bad, and I'm going to say them in ways that kind of sound similar. You know, it's, it's yeah. Hebrew antithetical parallelism is what this yeah. is. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I, I, it's like uh, a good name is better than precious ointment and, and the, the day of death um, better than the day of birth. That's actually not antithetical parallelism. Let's see. Yeah. So they're not all uh, antithetical. No. Some build off one another. Right. And so let's just actually, I think one of the most important little sections or one of my favorite sections in Ecclesiastes is in these next six verses. So let me really? just, I think I love these. Oh man. You don't okay. like these? Oh, oh, it's not that I can't, I can't say I don't like them. They're in the Bible. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I just, they're not my favorite part of Ecclesiastes. That's for sure. Uh, so let me just read them. A okay, good read name. Them. Read them to us. Is better than precious perfume. And the day of death, likewise, is better than the day of birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. And the living will lay it to heart. So it's better to contemplate death and to visit funeral homes than to eat great meals. Sorrow, verse 3, is better than laughter, and by, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. I think these are fascinating passages, mm. and I really love them. One, because I've met a lot of people who seem awesome and really great and hands-on, but they haven't suffered yet. Yeah. And I've noticed like what that does and how they relate to other people, how they lead other organizations or their small group or like just other, like their wife or their spouse, like a man or a woman who has not yet suffered, like doesn't relate the same way to the world. Mm. And so I think part of what Kohelet's getting at here is there is a benefit to contemplating the one thing we can know for sure, which mm. is death and suffering. And so that's yeah. one of the, actually the ways that I've thought about this portion of Ecclesiastes is like, I think what he's getting at in a lot of this, like we just don't know a lot. Like mm-hmm. we can never know uh, enough to control the future. We can never know the day that we'll die. We don't know what comes after death. We can't control the weather. We don't know how like 
our world works. Mm. And he says, well, well, one thing that you can know for certain is death. Mm. And if you look into it a little more deeply, you can understand a lot about life. Um, I think that's, yeah. I think that's wise. <laughs> it's <laughs> I, helpful. Well, I think it also is an interesting, like, um, off ramp out of Ecclesiastes into real life where you're like, you're, you're, you finished chapter six of Ecclesiastes and you're like, this is depressing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, man and beast go to the same end. Who knows if the, if one spirit goes up and one goes down and everything is pointless and all these unmet expectations. And man, I just feel like I'm mourning and like everything is death and entropy. Mm, yeah, 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 like yeah. what wisdom is there in that? And he's like, okay, hold on. Let me show you. Here's a series of proverbs where I will show you that like there's wisdom in mourning and wisdom in contemplating death. It actually makes you a wiser person to yes. live a well-informed about hevel mournful life than it does to live a flighty, happy, disconnected life of whimsy. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly that's, very interesting. that's exactly right. And he picks up this theme a few different times about like the importance um, um, of death. Uh, he, I think the next section where he picks it up is in chapter nine, okay. uh, verse four. Uh, and he cut and he said, Oh, I'll start in three. This is an evil uh, in all that is done under the sun. The same event happens to us all. Also the hearts of ch- the children of men are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Mm-hmm. But he who is joined with all the living has hope because a living dog is better than a dead lion. And what I right. think he means there is like a humble, lowly, uh, living person is better than a brash, brazen, dead person. Yeah. And he tells us why. Because the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Mm-hmm. So there's a... So it's better to be living and contemplate death than to be dead and be unable to contemplate death. That's mm. what he's saying. And I think this is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Okay. Like, I think this is a, because... <laughs> yeah, walk in, me through this. <laughs> in Christ, we have life in him. Uh-huh. But that life is purchased through his death. And in order to be a part of Christ's life, what does Jesus say? We must die. We must be included and be baptized into his death. And what's the um, the problem with the spiritually dead? They don't know that they're dead. Oh. They, they don't know that it is worse to not know that they are dead than be humble and contemplate death as their way to life. Hmm. And here in Ecclesiastes, he takes it on a more meta level like it's wise to live as if death is the only certainty there's a wisdom that comes about you it's wise to consider that but also in that wisdom is very life which is what paul says the wisdom of god is christ crucified mm-hmm. and i think because ultimately why does wisdom like focusing on death give us like a better quality of life it's because Jesus Christ himself is pure wisdom incarnate and he died in order to give us life. Mm, That's good. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, that um, it's an interesting way to think about like how, especially as a ministry that constantly wants people to focus on the death of Jesus on the cross. 
mm-hmm. um, that I know Christians, especially I would say Reformed Christians, are mm-hmm. regularly criticized for focusing on all the bloody death, you know, sad stuff of the gospel. You know, why focus on that? And it's yeah. like, well, I mean, there's lots of reasons we could give, you know, out right. of the gospels themselves, but it seems like Kohelet is telling us that there's wisdom in meditating on the place of death and the mourning of the loss of life. And in the gospel, we see that that is consummately true because as we reflect on and live in the mourning of Jesus's death on the cross, we see true wisdom that it's through death that we get life. That's right. That's interesting. And I think Kohelet sees it just in the way that life normally plays out. Like Totally. He's not making this connection himself right now. No, but yeah. the average person who has suffered great loss mm-hmm. is normally more compassionate. And yeah. what does he say here? Uh, verse 3 of chapter 7. By sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Mm. I was listening to somebody. Her name's... Uh, uh, she... Um, she lost, I think, like four kids oh, yeah. um, and just like really, really sad story. And, but she, you know, she's an author, speaker, writes about grief like pretty mm-hmm. frequently. Um, and she said that one of the, the fascinating thing about ministering, speaking to people that have lost like loved ones is that as their sorrow deepens, so does their capacity for joy. Like yes. some of the happiest people that you'll know, the jo- most joy-filled people that you'll know, are normally the people that have lost a lot. Mm. And she said, I think that's because they know how low they can go. And so the middle of the road feels that much more of a gift. Yeah, And the highs feel even higher. And so you just notice joy pouring out of them because they know how deep the bottom can get. And I was like, man, that's straight from the book of Ecclesiastes. Like that is a wise observation of what happens to people who suffer and I think she's right. And I think yeah. Kohelet's right. And I think that's yeah. baked into the gospel itself. It is. And I think that Paul um, makes the same argument in Romans 8 using the opposite emphasis. But it's okay. the same point. He talks about how he, does, he doesn't even think that the suffering in this present world is worth comparing right to the inheritance that we will get in heaven. It's going to be so good that by comparison, the bad isn't as bad as I thought it was. It's the same point that as that is right. the You're depths right. go down, the heights go up. Yes. That as we also reflect on the heights going up, we're able to not ignore the depths that we, you know, currently have to trod through, but we're able yeah. to we are able to walk through them. I think that's super helpful for understanding what Kohelet means in so much of his book. I think we like talked about like this middle way between nihilism yeah. and pessimism really, really often. And I think that's if you were to distill a nugget of truth from Kohelet, I think what you're getting at might be it. Like a middle way sounds, I don't like the way that sounds. A middle way just sounds like really like, uh, like a compromise, a compromise. Like, I don't think that's what he means. I think like when you contemplate the depths of suffering and hevel and smokiness and futility of the world. And at the same time, contemplate the givenness of life and the goodness of God's judgments. Mm-hmm. When you enter into life, the sufferings you cannot compare to the eternal weight of glory that you right. will receive mm-hmm. in heaven. And the great rewards will, can be enjoyed, not as ends that in you must have yeah. mm-hmm. at all costs, oh, but as right, good right, right. gifts from the Lord. Like, yeah. you're like I think that con- type of contentment 
is like what the book, the wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes is teaching over and over and over again. Okay, so uh, one of the next verses that come up kind of to cap off this uh, Proverbs section in the early parts of chapter 7 is this line in verse 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? What does that mean? <laughs> I, I, whenever I, I the first thing I kept thinking was like, what, what, what's God making crooked? Why is he like bending all straight what, lines? Yeah, does God does God make things crooked? Uh, what? I think what he means, I think what he means is like, who can undo the curse? Yes, who can undo? Because where did the curse? Where did the curse come from? It came from God. It came, yeah. God like, cursed Adam and Eve because yes. of their disobedience, because of their lack of wisdom, <laughs> like yes, because, because of their of lack of wisdom, <laughs> right? Because they wanted to define good and evil for themselves, because they wanted to grab something that looked solid but wasn't, mm-hmm. uh, God curses them to a life of hevel. Yes. And so, consider the work of God. Who can undo the hevel of this life? Mm-hmm. Who can undo the futility of this life? Who can undo the, the enigmatic quality of this life? Who can undo the curse? Yep. And the, the implied answer is no one. No one. Yeah. I think there's also some like retroactive comments that he's making about all these proverbs that came before where he's okay. like, it's better to do this than this, you mm-hmm. know? Um, you know, it's better to, uh, where's the one about the crackling pot? That one's hilarious. I like that one. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. <laughs> right. also is better. And so he's, you know, comparing that to like being mournful. You know, the wise are mournful and quiet. You know, fools just get together and laugh and end up bursting into this fire that consumes. Um, anyway. Uh, I just and imagine so, the hyenas from The Lion King. The hyenas. When, like, uh, yeah, whatever, like, a scar is ascending to power. And, like, all the hyenas are, like, f- falling into, like, Hitlerian formation with green fire all around them. Yep. And they're all laughing at the end. Their shadows on the wall. That's what I'm imagining. That's what you imagine. That's, <laughs> That's a good thing to imagine, yeah, yeah. I think. That's very good. And so it's interesting that when, when, I, when I read who can make straight what he has made crooked, uh, I think it's interesting that I, I think the way of the fool tries to take something broken and say, no, I could still use this. Like there's a like the broken way of life I could use to bring me something that I know it can't. Like yes. wealth is broken and crooked. But I, I could I could take but it and I make could it straight. It out. Yeah. yeah, I could make it straight. And he's like, no, th- all these things are broken and bent and don't lead from A to B. And yet what a fool does is he takes what's crooked and tries to make it straight. And he can't. Yeah, it's that's a, really helpful, actually. Yeah. That's really helpful. If the whole world is under a curse, what we always try to do is try to take the cursed world and that's bring right. about blessing from it. Like the mm-hmm. wise life from it, but like you, that's not the way it works. You can't right. undo the curse by grabbing onto the curse. Like you can't. Like that's it's foolishness. Yep. You can't make sin fulfilling. Right. You just can't. You can try, and everyone does. I try. You try. You know, uh, everyone tries. Yeah. Uh, and we just can't make sin fulfilling. You can't draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Like that's <laughs> that's like right. that's like, it's right. like. Have you ever try tried? Me. Try, try me. Try me. Try okay. I'll find a real crooked stick. I don't want you to draw a straight line. But that's the, like, and that's why it's foolishness. It's like, oh, yeah. it's intrinsically unable to happen. Yeah. It's like, oh, what God has made a square cannot be made a circle. Like, right. like it's like 
oh, but no, I can take the square and make it, and it, it'll be a circle for me. No, yeah. it won't. And it I, won't. I really, that's really helpful. That's really interesting. Yeah. And so it, there's kind of this theme that's then developed throughout this, the rest of this chapter about um, not only the, the, the line, the firm line between f- fool and wise gets blurred a little bit here. Because in Proverbs, it's always like, if you do this, you're the wise person. If you do the opposite of that, you're the foolish person. But then he, he basically goes on to say that we're all crooked and all none of us can be made perfectly straight. So in verse 20, he says, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. He's like, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, even the wisest, most righteous person on earth sins a little bit. Yeah. You know, and like that's not a shocker to us. We have well, yeah, language Romans for that 3, all the time. Like, yeah, all, right. for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah. Or we'll say things like, "Well, I mean, I'm only human." Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Just, like, well, yeah. nobody, nobody, nobody's perfect, right? Like, this is not a shocker to us as humans. In fact, I think we endear ourselves to this crookedness a little bit with, mm-hmm. you know, um, sayings like that. That's, so, yeah. so then he, he he keeps going in verse twenty nine. See this alone I found. So this is like his findings from everything that he's talked about. See this alone I found that God made man upright. He made him straight, you know, instead of crooked. God made man upright, but they have sought out their own schemes. And so this is the fall, right? This is fall language. God created man in his own image, but they sought out wisdom apart from him at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They made a scheme to satisfy their desires. Yep. God made something straight and we made it crooked. And so we're like, well, how can God make something crooked? It's like, well, he like, that's, that's the choice that we made was to be crooked. And then God solidified it in the curse. (laughs) Yes. Like we preferred a crooked line to the straight one. And God said, okay, you can use that and you can try to draw a straight line with it for the rest for, for the entirety of creation until I remake it. And that's going to be, that's the curse. That's the curse. Or God has made, crooked cannot be made straight yeah and so i think what he's doing here is he's pushing against proverbs yet again right because he 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 leans in and agrees with proverbs on the folly stuff he's like yeah folly's death and it's pointless and it's unwise and you know there's there's a better way than folly he's like but watch out because i know you're going to think that you can pursue all the blessings and everything through wisdom but no one is perfect so you can't receive perfect blessings and the straight path because you can't be perfectly wise yeah. and so it's like well dang it then does proverbs break like if, right. if no one can achieve this then how am i ever supposed to be happy and content and it's like really it's all it's really really clear in proverbs that when you attach yourself to folly you die and then oh, it's right. really yeah. clear in proverbs when you attach yourself to wisdom you have life and like it's there are two straight lines yes folly death wisdom life period mm. and so he's saying okay yeah sure folly death but also wisdom normally leads to death as well <laughs> yeah. yeah and i think that's the i guess what it's a weird way to say it but i guess that's the genius of this section is that he paints you into a corner where you have to agree with him all the way that it's like yeah it is better to be wise okay good well then that's the way to go and he's like mm-hmm. uh-huh but you're crooked too right. and you're like dang it i think you're right so you're right so what do What's, I do? We all die? Is that the whole? And that's where he goes next. We'll get there in a second. He goes to death next because that's the end of both the fool and the wise. But we and have to we have well, to finish this thought. We have to finish this thought, yeah. but I also want to strengthen your point. So if you okay. go back to Ecclesiastes 7.14, he says this, 
And I found something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Hmm. So the reason why that connects, the reason why that strengthens your point is because all throughout the book of Proverbs, mm-hmm. folly mm-hmm. and wisdom, but folly in particular, are described is described as a woman ensnaring its victims into a pleasure that never satisfies, right. into a, a way of life that always leads to death. And so I think again, it's and. Wisdom is also compared to a, as a woman, and yes. at the end of this section, Ecclesiastes 9, the antidote to trapping yourself with a woman whose hands are chains is a woman that you live your, oh, your wife, that you live your life with, with joy and contentment. Right. It's so like right. that, that same parallel is even here in the book of Ecclesiastes. But let's complete the thought. So this is connecting us to this fact that we are... Um, not perfect. Not perfect. We're, we are all, not perfect. We're all intrinsically crooked, and we cannot make ourselves straight. We've we, trapped ourselves with this yep. lady folly, and we can't escape from her. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, if you think about this from the autobiographical standpoint of Kohelet, it's like he spent his life trying to pursue folly and wisdom to see which one could possibly bring him what he's looking for. And he's found out that at the end of the day, he can't even use wisdom as the path to life, which is really disappointing because right. no one's perfect and God made us upright, but we have sought out our own schemes. And so what are we to do when we live in a world of crookedness and it's full of crooked people and there's no one who can fix it? Like that's what he's left us with here. Yes. What hope is there? And he even compounds the problem in eight, eight, because we go back like, what's the end of wisdom life? What's the end mm-hmm. of folly death? He says, no man has power to retain his spirit or like to keep his spirit on the earth or power over the day of death. It's mm. like the fact that wisdom doesn't work is proven by the fact that we all die. Yes. If you could be wise enough and achieve life, that means no one would ever die. Mm-hmm. So why? So obviously it's not working. Obviously yeah. you can never be wise enough That's right. to live. We, we came into this life with one hand on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We come into this life cursed and crooked and we have no way to be wise enough to crawl out of that condition to the tree of life Mm -hmm. to say it all in eden language yeah yeah yeah. that's good yeah and so So what is the solution david yeah i mean (laughs) this is like primed everyone everyone listening is like if you've been listening long enough you know exactly where this is going it's just like we're all sinful (laughs) we're all sinful sinful. we're all crooked no one is perfect and we all um we all die so we need someone who we're all enslaved to lady folly yeah so we so need what? someone who is wise enough, uh, whom God has made upright, who is not crooked, who is completely perfect in order to live the perfectly wise life, in order to beat death and actually gain life. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> who could so, it be? Who could it be except maybe Jesus? Yes. Uh, so, again, Jesus is wisdom incarnate. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he never sins. Yes. And because he never sins and he acts perfectly wisely, even when he's enslaved or ensnared by Lady Folly, when she's, he's enslaved by death, mm-hmm. it cannot hold him right. because wisdom is more <laughs> powerful than folly. Yeah. Wisdom is more powerful than foolishness. So when the truly wise person enters into a world of foolishness, he breaks free. Death cannot hold him. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead proves that the wise life 
is actually the path to wisdom in life. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, the wise yes. life is what brings it actually does bring us life because of Jesus. Proverbs is proven true in one sense. Mm-hmm. Like, if if uh, Ecclesiastes is like a it's a, a polemic against the misunderstandings of Proverbs, Jesus proves that one day Proverbs will be true. Mm-hmm. Life will come to those who live yes. wisely. Yes, right. That's very good. Yeah, I was trying to think of like a, a metaphor for this, but I can't. So this is the really terrible one that is Do popped it. into my head. It's not good, but maybe somebody else can come up with a better one. But it's like um, if we were if if like if God made us all like sand. You know, okay. and and then through sin, we become hardened into this concrete cube. Okay. Uh, then death is a little like prison for a cube, and it's perfectly suited to hold that cube. And there's little bars in place, okay. and there's a lock, and then you're stuck in there. So and the, like the based on the nature, is... but based on the nature of the cage, the concrete block is stuck in there because okay. death was the proper punishment and. Uh, containment unit for the foolish, which we okay. all are. Okay. But then they tried to put Jesus, who never formed into the concrete block, right? <laughs> yeah, He's yeah. the sand. They He's try to pour sand. sand. They pour sand into this like concrete mold holding unit, and it just all pours out because death cannot hold wisdom. That's like, really. I like that. I'm just I like, to think. It's not great, <laughs> but I do great. like the idea. <laughs> you get the you get the point of the what idea. I'm trying to make. Yes. Where it's like death was this 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 containment prison made for the foolish, yes. and it received Jesus, and it could not hold him because it wasn't built for him. He's wise, and so he yeah. passes through it, like you said, thus affirming his wisdom. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's cool. So the that's resurrection. Really cool proves that Jesus is wisdom incarnate is what you were saying. That's exactly right. That's so good. That's exactly right. Okay. That is a cool Jesus connection. Why is that good news for us? I think is, is like the next question. Right. Cause so, so if we, let's go back to like how some places where we started, what do we do with all the hevel that we see? Mm. How do we live in a cursed world? If every line is crooked and we need to draw a straight line, how can we do it? How can we escape death? How can we escape not knowing what to do next? How can we escape our constant discontentment? Mm-hmm. How can we escape that feeling that nothing ever satisfies us? How can we escape the feeling that everything we see is foolishness and not worth pursuing? That's vanity and smoke. The good news of this passage is that there is somebody who came, mm-hmm. who lived wisdom perfectly, who defeated the death and hevel we see and then is inviting us into that wisdom life when we like him die Mm. and when we die with him when we consider his house of mourning we are raised up with him and given new life we are given his wisdom by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is a, this is just a side note, but I'm studying the book of Joshua right now. Mm-hmm. And even in the book of Deuteronomy and Exodus, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of wisdom over right. and over and over again. So when Jesus down, gives us his Holy Spirit, we're given the spirit of wisdom to do battle with the discontentment that we, we feel, to do battle with the unmet expectations and properly orient our life in a world of heaven. We're given actual life after death. We're given... Um, the answers, or at least satisfactory like answers, even if not complete ones, to the questions we can't seem to answer. Right? Like, does that make sense? Yes. Like all the yeah, it does. Th- all of that, yeah. All that. I think, like <laughs> yeah, I think what you're making me you're making me think two things. One, you're making me think 
that the the simple answer to the question, right? There's this question he asked: Who can take what God has made crooked and make it straight? Mm-hmm. And answer answer that question. No one. Well, yeah, but there is one person. Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, God. Who yeah. can who <laughs> can take what God made crooked and make it straight? If 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 there was like this this like bow in the heavens made of heavenly metal, and God alone was able to build it, then God alone could make it straight again. And so, like, who can take our crooked lives and make them straight? Jesus. Jesus. Only God can. He can actually align Mm. us back. And he does this, right, by, like you said, showing us how to live a life of wisdom. And I was reminded um, of this verse, a very famous verse, Galatians 20. I've been crucified with Christ, right? Like, I went into his death. I've been crucified with the Messiah, and it is no longer I who live, but the Messiah who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so, like, I I entered into this death that I can't escape and then come out mm-hmm. of it with the wisdom of Christ in me, with the spirit of wisdom in me. And he is the one bending the bow straight again. Like, yeah. he is the one showing yeah, yeah, yeah. me. Don't pursue riches to their own end. That way lies madness. <laughs> right. Instead, give, you know, be generous. And like that way lies peace. And like he's taking me bit by bit through the act of sanctification, right? Making me like him, making me like holy Christ. As he does that work in me, he's taking all the crooked bends out of my life and out of my heart and making them straight again. Like that's just right. another way to think about sanctification. It's really sanctifi- yeah, sanctification is God taking the crooked and making it straight. It's really good. And I think it strengthens so go to Ecclesiastes nine. So this is the marriage that you're supposed to enjoy yes. as it Go eat your bread with joy. If you, you ultimately, mm-hmm. you cannot eat your food with joy without God. You will always right. eat your bread to some crookedly. Yeah. You will always eat it to fill an appetite that will never be satisfied. You'll always eat it because it's from Whole Foods and that proves you're a better person. <laughs> like, like you'll, or you'll eat it because, oh no, no, it's actually from, it's actually from Aldi and I'm more frugal than those people who go over there and waste their money. Like the food we buy will actually never be a joyful exercise. The bread, mm. the most basic thing we have will never be full of joy because it will always be proving some other point. We're right. always going to be trying to self-justify ourselves. Yep. Only with wisdom can we eat our bread with joy? Hmm. Can we, we, can we love our wife? Yep. Can we truly and best love our wife? Which is what he goes on to say. That's, I, I think that's the wisdom here. And besides that, yep. verse seven, go eat your bread with joy. It's the first time this, he's, like, he's commanding he's it. He's commanding it. He's not saying there's nothing better than to, this is, this is the only time he's not making the concession uh, to go and eat with joy. He's making the commandment to go and eat with joy. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I would probably say, it like, I, again, like, I don't know if it's ever a concession, but right. here it's definitely a command. Yes. Go and eat your bread with joy. Mm-hmm. This is what it means to live a life of wisdom. Uh, this, yeah. is the, this is the end result of a life of wisdom. This is yep. the, yeah. And so there's one last thing we have to talk about with this crookedness of the world, and that is... Um, great. So God can can take can kill my old crooked self and raise up a new straight one, and uh, sanctify me, taking out all the crooked bents. 
and I can live a life of wisdom. Great. Um, famine still exists, mm-hmm. and that's Hevel. Like, you know, uh, premature death and stillbirth and um, hurricanes and depression and anxiety and despots and dictators. All these things still exist. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. still there's still problems of justice in the world. In the places I looked for justice, there's still um, there's still wickedness. Like the world is still crooked, even if I have been made straight. Right. Yes. So, like, there has to be hope not just for us as individuals, but for complete recreation of that which is crooked, and that's what Jesus offers as well. Right. That's exactly right. Because not only does Jesus make us straight right now, he will remake the entire world mm-hmm. in the end. The world of Hevel, the world of smoke, the world of breathliness will one day become absolutely solid. And mm-hmm. every and that like and we will be made perfect, the world will be made perfect, and we can enjoy it with God, perfect wisdom forever. Yeah. Like we'll never like experience the unwisdom of injustice. Yeah. Right? Like we'll right. we'll see wise justice played out perfectly mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. And yeah. I think that happens now too. Like that doesn't just happen when Jesus comes. It will fully and finally, but it begins right now as we live a wise life right. inside of a world of heaven. Um, yes. We can create we can create little pockets of wisdom or as we've said before, little pockets of Eden where we live and do justice and act wisely and mourn with those who mourn. We create little pockets of the new heaven, the new earth right here, right now. That's exactly right. And I think that's why in verse 9, verse 10, he says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to where you're going. Mm. Like once you die, like there is a, a really hard break between between the eternity and now yeah, right so work hard now mm-hmm. and i think what i think maybe what we normally assume is that all the work that we do now just dissolves like once we mm. die it doesn't it doesn't matter anymore and kohelet brings up that point often enough like yes, once you does. die <laughs> it all goes away except in christ in jesus our work and our toil last beyond ourselves i think we Mm -hmm. talked about it last week right we did yeah how like everything that's built on the foundation of christ everything that's built on the foundation of wisdom will pass through a fire Mm -hmm. and whatever's built on that foundation will remain so what we build in wisdom now what we cultivate in um wisdom will remain into the next life um and i think that's really powerful it's like it gives me motivation to continue to work hard at the things I'm working hard at yes. without putting ultimate hope in them. Right. I, I love the image of um, like the, we, we get this eschatological in times view of um, the new heavens, and the new earth and Isaiah and all the Kings of the earth are bringing their greatest creations yes. uh, to um, the King of Israel. And um, they, they, they bring them in and like you have ships from Tarshish and they were like the best ships in the world. You have the, the best wood, the best lumber in the world coming from Lebanon, from the, from the cedars of Lebanon. And, you know, and Andy Crouch in his book Culture Making says, you know, like that will also happen with us. Like mm-hmm. we as humans will create things in this life. And the best of the best of those creations will be with us in a sanctified form, a purified, pass through the fire form in heaven. 
Like yeah. he's like he he talks about like it was written a while back, but he's like I think the iPod is going to be in heaven. <laughs> you know, this was a while back, uh, or the Mini Cooper. You know, yeah. he's like he's kind of being a little tongue in cheek there. Right. But like heaven is not this place that um, is somehow devoid and lost of all the human ingenuity that we have um, mm-hmm. that we've been able to create throughout um, our our yeah. many many lifetimes. The, like God yeah. is is making something that will be sanctified and renewed that we will enjoy forever yeah. with him. And he, he doesn't say, behold, I'm like, I, we're starting over or behold, I'm getting rid of everything. He said, behold, I make all things new and yeah. we'll have old things that have been renewed. Yeah. I'm thinking of two things right now. I'm thinking of a metaphor that might not work. And I'm thinking of a, of Tolkien, <laughs> the metaphor that might not work. Um, is um, I'm thinking like heaven has its own distinct architecture. So like, maybe like hyper-modernist, like super futuristic type style. <laughs> Angles, huge windows, kind of like, you know, like the mid-set, like kind of like I'm imagining the Incredibles, like the mansion in Incredibles oh, 3. Yes, like that yes. kind of thing. Like that's heaven's architecture. Incredibles 2. Incredibles 2, I don't know. It's not a 3. The 2, whatever. It's 2. It's Learn last, to Disney, bro. The last one. They all have trilogies now. It's like it's hard to keep up. Finding Dory only has 2. Finding Dory. Uh, fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> there is a, a wisdomly architecture to everything that's built in heaven. Okay. And on the earth, and it's like straight lines, because straight lines, what, can, what God makes things straight. And on the earth, normally our architecture is crooked. It's wobbly, it's ramshackle, it's falling apart. But there are some things on the earth that have that heavenly architecture to them. They stand out against the crooked, falling over bits of building that we normally try to make for ourselves. And so when the fire comes, when Jesus returns, all that's crooked and lopsided falls away and everything that conforms to that wisdomly architecture of heaven remains and is right. brings in. I was like, that's a cool picture. I like that idea. Yes, wisdomly architecture. Wisdomly architecture. And yes. then the other one was Leaf by Niggle. Have you... uh-huh. Yes. Oh, yeah, J.R. Tolkien's Yeah, so he talks story. about a little a man. His name was Niggle, right? Niggle. His name was yeah. Niggle. And mm-hmm. he spent his life trying to be an artist. Yep, he, he got infatuated with this vision of a perfect tree, and it was his life's desire to paint that tree to utter perfection. And he went through iteration after iteration after iteration after drawing after drawing, and at the end of his life, he dies having painted one leaf. One leaf. <laughs> one leaf. <laughs> and when he gets to heaven, he's uh-huh. like he's on a train going yeah, I think through so. heaven. And he makes the train stop when he sees his tree. It's his tree. And it's not just one leaf. It's the whole tree. It's millions of leaves. And it's dozens of feet tall. It's exactly how he imagined it in his vision. Mm-hmm. Also, that that's what Kohelet's inviting us into. The new yes. cre- What Jesus is inviting us to. Mm-hmm. What Kohelet demands we hope for yeah. in a world where nothing lasts beyond this life is that all of our desires and hopes that were made with wisdom find their completion in heaven, even if they're incomplete on the earth. Yeah, and I think maybe one of the most solid ways to talk about that using Kohelet's language is that he, he keeps inviting us to feasts and to eat. And like one day, we're, we're going to eat with Jesus forever. And like in the same way that Niggle's little leaf turned into a whole perfect tree, the perfect meals we can come up with 
you know, will be the one leaf on a tree that is so much more magnificent than we could have ever imagined. And what's served at that meal is not just food, but Isaiah paints this picture of uh, sitting down to that meal with God and there's this tray that's brought out and there's this writhing thing on it and the little toppers taken off yeah. and served to God and it's death. Like death is sitting on this silver tray and it says that he swallowed up death forever. Mm. So the amuse bouche at this meal, <laughs> the first thing served at this marriage supper of the lamb where we will sit down and eat our everlasting Edenic meal with God will be um, capped off by God swallowing up death and evil forever. And it will just be gone. Like this. Amen. Like, it's, it's fun to think about. I think, and I think like you said, I think, Kohelet demands us to flex our hope in times like this. And so I think it's I think it's appropriate that we've allowed ourselves to get a little imaginative about heaven here. Because, um, you know, if I was a preacher, I would say something like, because the only antidote to heaven is heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.